Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, I'm Clive Anderson. Welcome to My Seven Wonders. In ancient times, hanging gardens, great pyramids and other superstructures were celebrated as wonders of the world. And like days of the week and deadly sins, there were always seven of them. But what are the seven wonders you would put on your personal list? That's the question I ask my guests in this podcast. And the guest I'm asking today is a comedian, a drag artist, singer, a, a spectacular performer. Um, uh, the, so okay, please welcome, uh, originally from Australia, I think he lives in this country a lot of the time, Reuben Kay. Oh, Reuben, thank you. <laughs> do, do sit down. God. Oh, well, I, I do genuinely say I'm very pleased to see you. I, I am so pleased to have made it. Yes. I've well, never wanted to have a bike more than the last 30 minutes I have spent in an Uber yeah. on my way here, All sharing right. my location with your production yeah. manager. <laughs> well, they say, I did a similar thing yesterday or something else, but, they, uh, but when Ubers <laughs> say you're going to be there in a minute's time, you kind of have to allow another hour just in case. Yeah, it's more of an existential debate yes. than a, a statement of intent. Yes. Okay, uh, Ruben. Now, you're doing a show here in Edinburgh. Let's just m- mention that it. show. Where Where is that? What's it so called? I've got, I've got two shows, Glutton for Punishment. Um, uh, the first show is called The K-Hole, which is... <laughs> yes. Yes. Google it. Don't press image search. And <laughs> um, it's on at 10 to midnight, Thursday through Saturday, every night of the Fringe at Assembly Checkpoint, which is a deconsecrated church. Couldn't be more perfect <laughs> for a Jewish homosexual to get his kid off. And then I have a second show called The Butcher's Back, uh, which is an autobiographical sort of journey of my, with my band, uh, Ruben K and the Emergency Contacts, and that's on at <laughs> 7.50 p.m. Right. at the Spiegel tent. Okay, uh, we got that. And was I right in saying, and you've, you've won awards at all the sort of festivals so in Australia. But <laughs> so many. <laughs> so many. But you've also performed a lot in London. I think you've, have you lived in London or do you live in London? Yeah, I escaped Australia in 2010. There was a billboard outside the airport in Australia with a footballer getting his face mushed into the grass and it said, football. Melbourne's theatre. <laughs> and I, I've made the right decision on this one-way ticket. <laughs> and so I lived, in, I lived in Peckham for about 10 years. Oh, right. So you came for the glamour. I uh, came so, for the yeah, glamour yeah. and the stabbings yeah. and got it all. I was mugged twice in my first week. And by the second time, I sort of was like, I don't have anything. I'm in an uh. attic paying 70 quid a week, bills included, because my mother had a one-night stand with a guy who owned the building in the 70s. All right. <laughs> so I don't know what to do here. But then I sort of... Made my way through and ended up paying a, a resident artist at the Savoy Hotel in the Beaufort Bar for about three years. All oh, right. Um, ran the shows at Cafe de Paris and yeah. um, just got to perform. Has your mother had, had your mother had one night stands in all those places? <laughs> Actually, that, that's more. So that's more disrespectful. I no, don't. It's not, I don't it's not, know. No, 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 yeah. absolutely not. She'd be thrilled. She's a people person. She. Um, <laughs> 
and the apple doesn't fall far from the slut. So, you know. Uh, but you've so you've performed in Australia, but also yeah. in, in Europe. I think I mean you're mm -hmm. a you're a cabaret host is another way to describe you. You've done that in Berlin, the home of that sort of thing. Really. Yeah, it's very intimidating to to do an art form that you have learnt in such a removed location like Australia, and then come to Berlin and be like, well, here's my assumption of it, my version of it, and um, yeah, it was very intimidating, but had a great time, yeah. loved it, and in fact learnt a lot of what I now incorporate into my shows. The K-Hole certainly is a yeah. very um, Berlin club aesthetic right. to it as well. Watching you, I've only seen you you know, online and, and uh, YouTube and all those things. And you are a fantastically accomplished performer. Thank Confident, you. you know, you're singing, you know, there's words and jokes interweaved and so on, which, you know, can be a bit sort of mushy with some people. You're absolutely on the case. Um, you must really work hard at, uh, at your performances. Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm very obsessed by it. And I really love, I love performing, but it's no use doing something you love if, if it's, as you say, mushy, if it's not precise, if yeah. you're not doing it well. And uh, as a child, the first movie that I ever saw was Night at the Opera by the Marx Brothers. All oh, right. And I grew up watching Marx Brothers routines, Danny Kaye, Jackie Mason, very old school vaudevillian performers. Oh, you're all the way back there too. Hello. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And the thing that stands out for me is the sharpness and the speed and the precision. It's sort of, it's, it's almost surgical, yeah. like a whip crack. And for me, that's the great tension in what mm. I do is the band are incredibly sharp. I can be as loose as I want, but there has to be that, yeah. that speed and that surgical precision of everything. And sure. that's also part of the joy because I think a lot of people see yeah. cabaret as a loose relaxed art form and I want to bring the yeah. tension. But it can look like that even though it's been worked out to the... Because mm. the Marx Brothers, certainly with their early films, they used to go around and perform them on stage. The yeah. routine's all done. So they knew exactly how long to leave for the laugh that was going to come in the cinema because they it was the same as the one in the in the theatre. Mm. Yeah, so do, do, you, do you try things out a lot you know, like that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I believe that the audience is the best director which my director hates. But then again, <laughs> I don't have a director. Um, so for me, it's always been get the thing on stage as quick as possible yeah. and uh, trust that your own persona, your own backlog, I call it the shuffle. What have I got? What have I got? What have I got? I write the list out. I write the set out. I have 10 poles for everything. And then I fill it with the shuffle. And for the first week or so of the show, it's me sorting it out on stage and trusting that it'll all work out. And sooner or later, the audience defines exactly what joke goes where. They're yeah. the best um, thermometer. Not the right term. Barometer. Yeah. Sorry. D d depends That's, where you're putting it. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to say that. I just set that well, up for the you. The other day I wondered, having seen you as a perform, you know, performing, I wondered, well, maybe off stage, maybe you were, uh, you know, you know, grey and and drab and quiet and mousy, or uh, or in everyday life, are you as uh, sort of exciting as you are on stage? And, and I think we've got the answer. Looking at you, now. <laughs> um, it's interesting. A lot of people who don the cap and bell or kind of have makeup and have drag, they look at it as a completely split persona. And for me, it's never really been that. It's sort of been an amplification of what was already there. It's me three drinks in, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, you know when you're at a dinner party and yeah. suddenly you realize, oh, I'm 
I'm not, I'm holding court. Oh, this is going really well. I wonder how long I can keep this going before you fuck it up. Yeah. Um, that's how this feels to me. Yes. Well, I, I've interviewed several times, uh, no longer alive, but Barry Humphreys. Mm. And obviously Barry Humphreys was, was an entertaining guy as Barry Humphreys. Mm. But when he became Dame Edna, he was, I mean, he was very savage to people. And he was, and I remembered one interview after he said, oh, he'd been very rude to me in a very entertaining way. And he's, oh, I'm sorry, Clive. I, that wasn't me speaking. That was Dame Edna. Yeah, yeah but Barry. <laughs> What a lovely you get are, out clause. You, you are there. there. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? I think there's um the tradition of comics ribbing each other or roasting each other. It's I've always taken it as if they have taken the effort to come up with a joke about you, that is effort place, that sort of love. But uh, for me, I grew up watching a lot of drag that was very harsh very sharp and i think a lot of us have had experiences of drag queens who really had that acid tongue with not a lot of warmth behind it and it sort of you got away with it because it was drag and it was novelty and that was it but as queer people we no longer need to hurt each other to make ourselves feel safe so i kind of want to temper what i do with a sense of warmth love okay. and trust there as well. I shall look forward to warm acid in this conversation. <laughs> Which leads to. So, so you've supplied me with your seven wonders. Some are sort of slightly surprising. Some are you know, more what I might expect. Mm -hmm. But the first one uh, is a bit of a surprise. Really. So your first wonder is sugar. And you explain by sugar in everything. Sugar, sugar in everything. Uh, my mother's favourite uh, food groups are fat, sugar and alcohol. Yeah. And I was raised in a house where sort of a great... Um, dessert would be a dessert spoon, a full kind of soup spoon of sweetened condensed milk rolled in Milo or Ovaltine and sucked on like a lollipop. I'm a four sugars in my coffee when I'm trying to be healthy person. Yes. Uh, two sugars in an espresso. Um, uh, I've always been a, a very sugar heavy child and I grew up with a Russian grandmother who I think one of my earliest memories is her making very sweet honey milk tea and putting it in the saucer for me to sip so I wouldn't burn myself. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've always had a wonderful affection for food and the endorphins and the sweetness. I'm not oh, yeah. sure this is good nutritional advice, though. Sugar is now recognised as being responsible for dental caries, obesity, sometimes depression, heart disease, bad skin, all sorts of things. Sugar. I never thought I was going to live a long time, Clive. <laughs> <laughs> and the teeth yeah. aren't mine, and they're holding up great. <laughs> well, and... If I may say so, uh, you don't look like somebody who eats a lot of sugar. You look as though it's you're, I, you're annoyingly not putting on the weight <laughs> that you clearly should be doing. Well, here's the problem. If I stop doing the shows, then I assume everything will just collapse like a blancmange in the sun. Yes. Well, it can happen anyway, uh, believe you me. Oh, God, uh, God, but, God. But is that a sort of... Um, no, nostalgia is the wrong word, but that relates you to your family. You obviously got affection for, but uh, if you're, so you're saying Russian, uh, I think it's a Russian Jewish family. Mm -hmm. um, there were times when you, you know you desperately needed to have something to eat in the cold oh, winters of, of Ukraine or Russia or wherever it was, yeah. which is not quite the same when you're in a, a, a prof, you know a pleasant suburb of Melbourne or or London or Edinburgh. Come to that. Are you where, saying that my struggles as a middle class child in Melbourne aren't comparable to my family who had to hide from the Cossacks? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like they're very aligned. Um, yeah, I think there's something uh, that takes me back to culture and family yeah. that I feel as um, 
as removed as I am from the history of my family that I'm always searching for and trying to find. And a lot of that does come through food. Yes. This sounds so ridiculous, but the first thing I do when I come to a city on tour is I batch make my grandmother's chicken soup, which has oh. a lot of sort of dill, garlic, chicken. It's just the most Russian thing. Yeah. If it was any more Russian, it'd be a revolution in a bowl, yes. right? Yeah. Uh, and I've always had a wonderful knowledge of what my family and my history went through. And that kind of divorcing, well, you haven't been through that. Are you really that? Um, uh, and not, I'm not, I, people of my generation, we're not so much fourth generation, fifth generation Holocaust survivors. We're more Holocaust adjacent, <laughs> if that makes sense. So there is a sense of, for me, trying to, trying to get back something or trying to um, yeah. immerse myself in something that my family has been through. So, I mean, you've moved it on to chicken soup then. I think that's more nutritious than just four sugars in your coffee. I yeah, think. I know, but it's not as fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have the, the same thing, because I, especially when I'm in Scotland, I... Uh, build up my Scottish heritage, and so it thinks things for me were it was it was drinking iron brew and those pie those Scotch pies, you know. But I only tasted my, iron. My father brew used to even you had a taste of it yeah. just yesterday. Yeah. Daniel Sloss poured some of it, it down must, my throat. It must appeal to you. It's solid sugar. At least it was. They, it's, they've actually removed some of the it's sugar. It's creaming soda with a radioactive uh, color. It's yeah. great. Yeah, loved it. I'm mainlining it currently. It's made out made out of girders, or they used what to. What is girder? What is that? Oh, okay, well, those those metal things you make buildings out of them because some of the color is supposed to be oh, iron. girders 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 yes. oh i yeah. see yeah. i see i thought it was garters i don't know yeah. i was like well, don't, I, scottish women yeah i don't want to put you off if you no, 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 no. think of it's fine doesn't yeah. put me yeah. off we I all slide I don't, think, I don't think they're allowed to make that claim anymore on the cuts <laughs> on the, but i think this presumably the scottish people in the audience will confirm this you know the worldwide the top fizzy, sugary drink in the world everywhere is Coca-Cola, mm. apart from Scotland, where Iron Brew stands out. It's like it's like it's asterisk against the Roman Empire. That's and, uh, beautiful. Uh, I love not, that. And it's not because it's any healthier, I don't think. It's just no, no, no. It's because it's your yeah. damaging product. Yeah. <laughs> right? But I, I would say Scotland generally is the place for you if you like sugar. There's lots of... Oh, know, I'm having a Scot great time yeah. here. Butter, fat and sugar in everything. Yeah. But it, uh, just one more question on this because we move on. Uh, the performing life. I was. I do sort of going on doing shows and every now and then. But it's only every now and then for me. But I know my diet is dreadful while I'm doing yeah. performing. I'm driving somewhere. I'm eating sweets. Uh, you get to a late night. Oh, you either eat something rubbish or mm -hmm. not at all, and then you make up for it with it. So if you're doing it, presumably, you know, uh, 52 weeks a year, is your diet pretty poor? It goes through. It goes through stages. Um, I think there's something about when you're consistently performing, your body's actually getting used to a very severe adrenaline spike and drop. And there's something about that every night, which means that you start craving endorphins in any way you can get or good feelings in any way you can get it. And for oh. me, it's, it's, I was going to say oral, but I meant like food. Do you know uh, what yeah. I mean? Stop it. I know what you mean. Stop it. You could easily turn. And... Uh, for me, a lot of that time, I think yeah. for a lot of performers, it is, oh, yeah. you're eating crap, but it makes you feel yeah. good. Easy, sugary food, mm. maybe alcohol, maybe other yeah. things we yeah. will we'll leave for the moment. As far as like... As far as addictions go, I think sugar is a fairly innocuous one for now. Yes, but yes. but I think it is an addiction, and I I would confess to. Is this being, an intervention? Yeah, no, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm, 
I think it's more like uh, Sugarholics Anonymous. So, yeah. yeah, I'm Clive Anderson. I'm also an alcoholic, sugarholic. You um, <laughs> Your sugar intake has affected us in the following ways. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, oh, oh, you got the energy to do the 12 steps, though, don't you? <laughs> 12 spoons, yeah. <laughs> uh, no. So let's go on to your second wonder, mm -hmm. uh, which is Bette Midler's 1976 Cleveland performance. You need to watch this thing. Yeah. So, um, uh, oh God, how do I even describe this? It's a recording of her on tour with Live at Last, which is one of her first big tours. And she refused to let the live recording of, they filmed it and they were going to release it all. And as far as I know, she refused to let that be released commercially because the singing on it wasn't like as polished as it could have been. And they released a smaller live album. But... It's Bette Midler straight after a stay in a hospital where they had to cancel some dates because she had appendicitis. Then she starts the tour in a hospital bed singing and everyone's like, oh no, this is what's going to happen. And then she jumps out of bed and for 10 minutes, she does not stop sprinting across this giant auditorium while busting a lung, shouting jokes, she's spitting jokes. Like she's, she didn't have appendicitis. She donated her tits to share. And <laughs> singing and the whole Two hours is, I just think, one of the masterclasses in what I do in cabaret, in comedy, in ways that she rides the audience's energy and tempo and then just goes, actually, we're going to go this way. There's a monologue in the second half of it called Fried Eggs where she tells a story about walking down streets in New York and seeing a woman with a fried egg on her head and how absurd. And the audience is laughing and chuckling. And then suddenly she changes it to go, the thing about fried eggs is everyone's gone. Some people wear them on the outside, some wear them on the inside. And if anyone ever notices that I'm carrying something that's a little different and they want to laugh about it, let them laugh about it. But don't let them laugh so I can hear and then launches into a song and you feel, I've got chills now, thinking about, yeah. the audience just goes, oh, yeah. I have been taken on this humongous journey from just a microphone, a spotlight and a bit of piano. Um, I could recite every word of that concert. Yeah. I think it's beautiful and I encourage you to watch it. It will change your life. All right. Well, uh, well, because it's on your list, I watched it, or at least some of it this morning, because I oh, ran yeah. out of time. And it is extraordinary, the energy that she brings to the performance. Nuts! And it's Nuts! like, she's like Mae West, yeah. mi mixed with Tina Turner. Yeah. A bit of, uh, a bit of Joan Rivers moved in as, uh, yeah. mixed as well. It's uh, proto. Yeah. So many people you see now that are icons, you go, oh, in the 70s, this, yeah. is, this is where it was at. And then you're thinking, hang on, a ticket was 10, six bucks. Yeah. Six bucks to see Bette Midler in an auditorium now. Yes, Jesus Christ, uh, and it's uh, yes, it's a fantastic performance. Very rude jokes, and uh, I mean, you think, oh, um, I mean, even she says she does some jokes from previous times. Oh, you think we invented it? Yeah, and, and people now would think, oh, you go along, uh, go along, and see Ruben. He's invented rude jokes, but her jokes are as rude, uh, pretty much as rude as your oh, jokes. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There's a great one. I think it's called, if we weren't meant to eat pussy, why is it shaped like a taco? Great line. <laughs> great line. And actually, there's a great comic, a comic called Cassie Workman in Australia who's got a fantastic line, which is genitals 
are like Mexican food. We all have the same thing, just folded differently. <laughs> I'm a, I'm, I started as a fan and I love one-liners. Yes. And I collect them. And Bette Midler spits one-liners consistently. And there's yeah. something, again, very vaudevillian about it, very old school. Yeah. So when people come to me and say, oh, I, what you do, I've never seen it before. And a lot of comedy agents have said that to me. They go, oh, God, we've never seen what you do. And I'm like, you have not been paying attention. Yeah. I am an old-fashioned song and dance man. Yeah. I'm just using swear words. And they're yeah. like, oh, oh, we get it now. Yeah. The, the, the bit I liked in her as well is that she, she tells a joke. It's quite a rude joke. I mean, you know, it's, funny, it's a funny joke. And then she says, oh, you'll all be telling each other, but you'll be telling it wrong. So she gets the audience to stand up and recite the joke word for word. Now, now most comedians would say, well, don't go around telling that joke because you'll tell it wrong. And I don't want it, you know, I want people to laugh. Like, so she makes them learn it. She word. recites yeah. this joke. Yes. I'm not going to spoil it for you. And I'm far too dignified a performer to degrade myself myself to tell a filthy joke like that here in front of all of you good people yeah. and you so <laughs> you'll have to yeah. watch it yeah. and look it up for yourself and enjoy it and maybe tell that joke uh, at the office yeah on that. now I do, i'm not sure i'd ever seen that performance but i have interviewed bet midler i just oh, say stop it. i no. say that to, do, to 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 name drop and i often name drop her name because uh, i do a radio show where we all gather around the table and we have two music acts and we have to obviously say to people, please turn your phone off because it makes a sort of you know crackly noise. So everyone dutifully turned their phone off. So I did the interview with her. She was top guest, so we started with her. And then there was a music act on. I think it might have been Soweto Kinch, the uh, the saxophonist. But but anyway, he was and he she liked his band, uh, so she wanted to film him or photograph. So that of course switched her phone on, and the whole thing. <laughs> but it's flaming Bet Midler. So are yeah. we going to throw Bet Midler out the studio or give her a hard? No. So I often say, oh. Look, do make sure you keep the phone off. You know, Beth Midland did this when I was yeah, in yeah, yeah, great. Just to put them in their place. If Sometimes, if anything, there's just a story there. She can become this famous cautionary tale. What yeah. was she like to interview? She was lovely. She was fantastic. She was she was only promoting some like retrospective album of things. I mean, you know, you know, you obviously you know better than I do, but her career went up and down a bit. And uh, so this was a sort of neutral period. She was in London. She was having a good time. And she oh, was... to have a career as long and varied that yeah. you could afford to have a neutral period. <laughs> <laughs> but do you know what I mean? She yeah. had. The, she was a spectacular. A star, and then was a little bit out of fact. Then to those movies that uh, that uh, sort of um, got her further forward. Mm. I, I'm going to move on to your next uh, wonder Go now because we're going to be covering similar themes on some of the. There is an organisation. Oh yeah, I've I don't have here, a lot of it's... range. Number three is drag. So yes. so this is uh, uh, this is. I, I don't know whether to describe you as a drag performer because because look, you're sometimes just in spectacular costume. Sometimes more obviously yeah. drag, but but uh, how would you, would you say you're always you're appearing as a man dressed up or as a woman? How how would you it's describe so it? It's so interesting, isn't it? Um, I sometimes don't know what to describe myself, and I think certainly as a a queer person, people have always rushed to define me. So I sort of just go, well, you call me what you want as long as I'm getting booked, yes. right? Uh, and I think many different artists who are multidisciplinary, who are multi-hyphenates, uh, also struggle with what to define themselves. Certainly, by definition, I'm wearing makeup, I'm wearing lashes, I'm wearing heels, I'm wearing male tailoring. I'm not trying to disguise the fact that I'm a man, but the makeup serves to almost hyper-masculinize me like you really know yeah. that i'm a guy um 
so what I and what I feel like my makeup doesn't necessarily redefine my face; it accentuates it. So it's sort of more borrowing from drag kings. Yes, if that makes sense. Okay. Uh, so for me, I'm in the Venn diagram of drag, and I'm welcomed into drag spaces. Mm. But I just think drag at this moment is having this renaissance, this absolute tsunami of recognition for good and bad. And, uh, and you can see the effect it's having on the world. You can see the center of the conversation that it is motivating, this vortex that it's spinning yeah. us all in. Uh, and I, I sort of go, this thing that started as subversion, that started as punk, that started as protest is now this, I don't know, temple for a lot of people, a safe space. I think it's really beautiful. And drag itself as an art form is sort of, I think, one of the few art forms where the artist is terraforming a new world and involving escapism for the audience and for themselves at the same time. Uh, there's something so beautiful about that. And as a child, I was always in my mother's clothes. In fact, one of the first bits of um, one of the first bits of drag I ever put on was the last dress my grandmother made after she escaped East Berlin. Uh, and I don't know, there's something so old, old world, something so beautiful about drag that is also always so contemporary, so on the edge and so historical. It reminds us that the new has always been here okay. and it's not going anywhere. So you mentioned you, yeah, that was right from your young age uh, doing that. So at yeah. school, would you, would you dress up? Uh... In the womb. <laughs> I was using my own umbilical cord as a feather boa. I, um, yeah, in school, I was very much, I was very much this. Even though how didn't... did that go down with your fellow pupils? Oh, Australia in the 90s, they loved it. I, um... <laughs> no, I was pretty horrendously, pretty horrendously bullied in primary school and high school. And the high school... I was the only like publicly visibly gay kid at my high school, which you think in a school of 1500 students is a, just a mathematical impossibility. Yeah. But the school ironically gave, put the chaplain onto me to kind of help me. You put me. your chaplain onto Oh, I see what you mean. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah, sorry. Go. <laughs> I, um, I had morals. I didn't play how I was. I tried to make a joke there. It failed. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, they tried to use the chaplain, had a chaplain there as, yeah. a, as help. And this man was just woefully underprepared and ill-equipped to deal with. Like a kid, imagine a 14-year-old gay kid who's getting bullied but can only communicate through Marx Brothers sketches. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, no one's winning here. Yeah. But um, presumably you were quick-witted if you were picking very, up on Groucho's yeah. or delivery. Yeah, or... my parents raised me to be a 40-year-old homosexual from birth. And my mum... <laughs> is a filmmaker, uh, ex-dancer, filmmaker, and my dad's uh, a Russian, was a Russian painter and sculptor, no longer with us. So it was a very quick dinner table to be at, yeah. a very quick family table. But you, as you say, drag is you know very much of the moment. Now, when I was growing up, we had one drag queen in the entire country. We had Danny LaRue, who appeared on television a lot. But we also went to pantomimes, uh, which for you know yeah. generations, there's the, the dame is always played by a man. Mm -hmm. and that still carries on. That's a, a you know one form of, of drag. And now we've got sort of uh, 
you know the the RuPaul you know kind of you know, like a mainstream show now, yeah. isn't it? It's not it's not specialist you know round a a pub for for aficionados. It's mm. for it's for everybody on the telly. It's a wide uh, to use a term. It's a wide church, and the best part about it is that it welcomes everyone. There's a great drag queen in San Francisco who started full drag, right? And now their career and they're so well known that they go, honey, drag is in me. I paint my little finger and that's it. And that is drag. <laughs> and goes on stage with just one nail polish, one little pinky nail polish, like yeah. I'm in drag, bitch. And the audience goes, yes, you are. <laughs> it's so great because it, it can be defined and cannot be defined. And there's something great about the mainstream having to grapple with a contradiction like that. Yeah. But it's a uh, you know it's, it's well regarded as well and you know entertaining as you say a drag queen pretty much has to have performing abilities got to look good got to be confident where where do you get your confidence from because that I would say that's another quality very noticeable in you I don't know I was never told to be confident um, no one ever said Reuben never let anyone tell you like no one ever tried to boost me up in fact I think throughout my childhood quite the opposite my um, my parents were always looking for a way to tire me out. Yes. Um, it hasn't worked, has it? <laughs> no. Sugar. And um, certainly at school, I was always sort of very willing to speak up, which I know that makes me sound awful as a child, and I was. Um, yeah, I've always just been a kid who was happy. You know when someone's learning a language, right? Someone's learning a language, and you think, no, I'm going to learn how to conjugate a verb. I'm going to learn the grammar. I'm going to learn. No. First thing I did was try and immediately launch into sentences. Mm. I've always run before I could walk. I just, yeah, I just feel like life's not very long. Yeah. Get amongst it as quick as possible. And if you fuck up, people will generally forgive a well-intentioned mistake right. rather than forethought with malice. So, And when did you first start actually performing you know to go on stage you had to get a costume oh, yeah. i suppose and and uh, um i did a uh do you mean professionally or just sort well, of uh yeah not necessarily you paid for it but it was a proper performance that you were saying here oh, i yeah. am oh yeah i'm doing a show now um presumably at school there wasn't a like a drag you know shakespeare no, play and then a drag evening, no, no 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 but they did a lunchtime talent competition oh. once and i thought oh i'm gonna um I, very brave of me. I didn't have any makeup. I just found a dress, put it on, and made them play all that jazz from Chicago and went on stage with pantyhose, but like pantyhose over my boy boxes. So they were all like crunched up and put my leg through the curtain and did that. And everyone's was like, oh, it's a girl, it's a girl, because I got great legs. And then came through with just a boy in a dress yeah. with boxes on and like lip synced this song. And I remember doing it, being like, this is not right. This is not right. I've really screwed this. And I, I think I bolted before the number fully ended out of the room. Um, that's not the question you asked, but that's the answer. No, but it's I'm a good giving. answer. That's a very good answer. Yeah. So I, I, I the, think the ending of that should be, and then the, the school went mad and applauded. No, and, no, no, no. Uh, they all went. I think one of the teachers said the worst word you can ever say. It's very brave of you. <laughs> um, but I think as a, I always knew, I went into school knowing I wanted to be a performer. And so I knew that I didn't really need the hierarchy and the bullshit that comes with school. And my mum, because I was getting so terribly bullied um, at school. How, like, are we talking physical bullying? Or yeah, I was hospitalized. My face had to be stitched up. I was had my head slammed indoors until I was bleeding. I was thrown into traffic. Um, 
And I was continually told, just tone down your behavior because yeah. you're asking for it. Yeah. Uh, we had, a, we had a, a lesbian career advisor who was told by the principal to not mention any part of her, her sexuality to any students and not mention any part of her LGBTQ community or life. And if any student was to express any form of, I don't know, sexual exploration, whatever, she was to report that to the principal. Um, just was a very different time on how we view sex and gender and... This sounds like 1890, not 19... Oh, it's Australia. <laughs> so, yeah, it was really rough, really terrible. We were thinking about moving me from schools. Um, yeah, it was not great. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Now, number four uh, your, of your wonders. Uh, this is a this is a sweet one to put forward. Uh, your collaborator, uh, Shannon White Whitlock. Whitlock. Whitelock, Yeah. Whitelock, he's, sorry. Um, Shannon Whitelock. Let me say it properly. Yeah. He's um he's he's crotchety and a curmudgeon and sullen, um, but he makes me better in every single way. And I thank my stars that. I was going to Perth Fringe with my first solo show, which was going to have a live band, because, of course, when you're in London a lot of the time, you're really working on tracks because there's just no budget, right, for musos, for a, a cabaret gig. Yeah. And we met, and within the first day, he said to himself, he told me this lady, oh, this isn't going to last. And we were in a 70-seater space, and we did the first show, standing ovation, and we looked at each other and went, oh, okay. And then by the end of the eighth show, they were fitting 120 people into the 70-seat yeah. place, like a real fire code hazard. And we just went, oh, okay. And through ups and downs, he, we've had fights, we've had falling outs, we've come back together. Um, we keep making work that excites us both and challenges yeah. us both. And so he's your musical director? He, he he's, composes he's a, songs? He's a friend, he's a brother, he's yeah. a... Um, musical director. He, he arranges. does lots of other things. He's, he's, he writes. He's a musical theatre writer, amazing musical theatre writer in his own right. And I am still shocked that he's like, well, I'll work with you when he yeah. could do the whole thing himself. Phenomenal singer. It's a tribute, really. The reason why I said it is because I don't, I don't believe in a one-man shop. I don't believe in an overnight success. And I don't believe someone can make good art without 
collaboration yeah. and being challenged by someone. And I am really lucky to have found someone who challenges me and forces me to be better. He's the voice that goes, oh, is that your first idea? <laughs> okay. All right. And I go, so okay, fuck you. Okay, so pretty back, brave back. as well. So could we be like the sort of Bernie Torpin as to Elton John? I know it's perhaps the opposite way around in terms of what you're, you're doing, but be somebody who's there the whole way through yeah. and isn't in the, in, the, you know, in the limelight as much. No, as, say, it's so bizarre to me that he has no craving to be lit. I have never not wanted to face that thing. I've never not wanted it. And he's like going, oh, babe, put me in 50% lighting facing away from an audience. I'm in heaven. I'm like, I have no way to relate to that. Yeah. Okay. So, well, that's, that's very good of you to nominate. So he's a, he's a wonder of the world. So the wonder is, perhaps he's wonderful because he's good, but it's a wonder that he even works with it's you continuously correct. for but, all the other things but he also, could be doing. I think, I think to expand it out, what I really mean by that is the, a wonder of the world is artists who who are willing to collaborate, who know that it's the best way to make something, even though it's not the easiest path. And I just don't think anyone makes something brilliant purely by themselves. And if they do, I think it's luck. I think collaboration um, is the bedrock of making something really, really incredible. Okay. Well, and I'll... that's what my work is, obviously. Okay. <laughs> of course, we're going to run out of time. I have, you have to oh, keep, keep going. Sorry, I, I, keep I talk. I talk. No, sorry. no, no, I'm not, I'm not complaining. I'm just explaining we're not going further into his... Oh, his, yes. his life and career because uh, your fifth way your fifth why would we <laughs> back to you now uh, uh, certainly back to your next wonder your fifth wonder uh, is well it's a, a collection of things right? it's dual heroin movies of the 80s and 90s okay so <laughs> um, it's it's four specific ones that I grew up on but it's a genre that I really love it's Death Becomes Her yeah. With Meryl Streep, Goldie Hawn, and sometimes Bruce Willis, actually in an amazing comedy role. It's under um, underappreciated. Underappreciated yeah. word I'm looking for. Uh, outrageous Fortune with Bette Midler and Shelley Long, who hated each other. Two um, ragtag actresses in New York who have to go on a journey to save the world. Brilliant yeah. film. Brilliant. Yeah. It's the best. It's a great rainy day film. Uh, Thelma and Louise. Uh, incredible film and huge long stretches of silence in that amazing yeah. scenery. And then Big Business with Lily Tomlin and Bette Midler where they play two sets of twins who are split up. It's a great mistaken identity farce. Yeah. There's just something brilliant about the snappy dialogue, the unity, the competition, the sisterhood of these films of women who are odd couples who manage to triumph and that's what I was, I know I watched them so much during my childhood because I couldn't relate to men, okay. really, because yeah. men had been really the aggressors in my life, apart from the men who were in my family. Yeah. Um, so a buddy-buddy movie wouldn't do it for you? Yeah, you... road trip buddy movies. What do I have to relate to? Oh, it's boys in a frat party going on a road trip. Shoot me in the face with rock salt. <laughs> I don't, like, but you show me. Two ditzy bitches. One of the great lines in it is Bette Midler's got like a huge earring and Shelley Long goes, where did you get that? And she says, I got on a Christmas tree at Saks. Says, you defiled a Christmas tree? No one saw. It's so good. <laughs> it's great. Yes. Well, it's I think great. of those four, I, I would... I reckon Thelma and Louise is the one that's best known to people. Best yes, to, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Uh, but give Outrageous Fortune and Death Becomes a, a try. Yes. They are incredible films and but are you suggesting and you may be right i haven't really done the analysis that 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 period of time there was uh, you know this, this was a new lot of 
of films, or is it just yeah, happens that that I was your I, era? I, right? I know. I think films work in or cultural phenomena work in response to different cultural phenomena. And I yeah. think there was a real broy attitude in that time. So of course the the seesaw, the other end of the seesaw, there suddenly we have to have. <sighs> Well, we got to make movies for the ladies and the gays. Yeah. And I was one and a half of those things. So yeah. that's what I gravitated to. Yeah. And also, I think because of they were written by, a lot of them were written by old Jews, old gay Jews. They were vaudevillian in nature. Yeah. They had that. Well, most films are written by yeah. old gay Jews. We're let's, very let's, clever. Let's face it. We're yeah. very good. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so, so, so did you follow, you know, obviously you like uh, Bette Midler, but uh, Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis, they, that was their sort of. Oh, and 1999 Brad Pitt. Yeah, yeah, it's a fantastic film. And again, a film which I think echoes for a lot of um queer men working in that time where you go, fuck, these two women are beleaguered and put upon by men in every one of the, and I'm not like man-hating, but that's the world that they were in. This isn't about misandry, but there's a resonating that I got because I was getting beaten up by guys yeah. mo most of my developmental mm. years. So again, there's a, uh, a real kinship in watching a story like that. Yeah. You Do you know? cry at the end of it every time you watch it? Oh, weep and thank <laughs> God I don't know how to drive. <laughs> yeah well it's put you off driving huh? yeah I don't, his don't last spoil, time i was in a car spoil. i chipped my spoil. teeth on a gear stick <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> that's dangerous practice that's all i'm saying I'll yeah. Chip back. yeah get an automatic now the uh... <laughs> well he's good synchromatic now this <laughs> i've got to keep my eye on the clock again um so your sixth wonder mm -hmm. is now this is a this is I mean, off the wall in a, in in a one sense. Cold apricot jam on a hot summer day. Are we just back out to of sugar a here? Or out of a spoon. Out of a spoon. On a spoon. Out of the jar. Keep it in the fridge. And on a hot summer's day, and if you can, keep the spoon in the fridge too. It's akin to the. It's akin to. <laughs> it's just the coldness of it. Keep. It's akin to um, eating ice cream with a fork. Anyone yes. know this? Where the tines, you get to slide the cold tines on your lips after, and there's that, it's a weird sensation. It's like having um, lemon sorbet and chocolate ice cream in the one pot and feeling that, that cold, slightly sherbety. It's just a beautiful thing. It's just a lovely oh, comfort thing, and okay. I recommend you try it as much All as right. possible. Okay. Well, I'm, uh, this is a useful tip for me because uh, as it happens in my, my garden, I've got a loquat tree, which is a, a, an apricot fruit, not dissimilar to apricot, and loads of it this year. And so I set about, I've made some loquat jam, but nobody wants to eat it. I'll have my, it. You have it. I haven't got any with me, luckily, oh. but give me your address. I'll, I'll send it <laughs> to you. It's a bit like apricot jam, but if I put it in the fridge and I'll say, look, a very important showbiz star recommends this sort of stuff, cold in the fridge, you'll, you'll love it. You yeah, you'll sell it. You'll sell jars of it yeah, well, to the tens of people who know me. <laughs> <laughs> I was just... <laughs> That was a self-deprecating <laughs> remark, not one to go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's about it. <laughs> now, one thing I will say about your, your fame and fortune, and other people have noted while I was looking you up, there's no Wikipedia page for you. I know. It's, I, I, can't I literally can't believe that. I'm a mystery. Um, have you uh, suppressed it in some way? No. I, well, Wikipedia pages are famously made by someone other than yourself, right? So yeah. I'm desperate for a Wikipedia page. Yeah. But I can't make one myself. No. Um, but... I would say that the world audience is divided when it comes to me. 
So uh, sometimes I go, maybe it's a good thing that I don't have a Wikipedia page because I don't control who's writing it. No. So it might be a fan yeah. or it might be um, someone from a right-wing Christian group who goes, well, I'm going to make a Wikipedia page about this person. And then again, I don't have quality control. So maybe it's a good thing. No, but normally it's not in your control at all. The person is just... just and if they get something wrong, you, you can't just sort of phone in and say, this is me and it's wrong. You have to provide some... Uh, I cannot believe that that is the pure basis of having a Wikipedia page. And Wikipedia is one of the biggest search engines that people rely on for truth. Yeah. And you go, oh, well, it's just made by people who wanted to make it but didn't necessarily know it. And if they get it wrong, someone else calls yeah. it out. It's like a gladiator's arena of facts. Yeah. And we're basing our entire existence on it as a load-bearing pillar. And I, don't, I don't want to put on airs and grace, but I do have a Wikipedia page. And oh, it is said yourself. And, <laughs> but it's full of errors. And the, the yeah. most amusing error uh, for when I'm coming here is that for, for a long while, they've just removed it now. Uh, it's about football, but they, uh, they noted teams, teams that I support. Oh. And, they, and they say I support um, uh, well, Arsenal, then a Scottish club. I don't mention which one because it's just a bit divisive. And then... <laughs> and then <laughs> And then Do they it. put in also also Albion Rovers. So every Scottish interview I've ever had, they say, "Well, why, what's your what's your what's your connection what's your connection with Cotbridge?" And I say, "There isn't any. Somebody's put that on my Wikipedia page." But then, strangely, after a while, I started to take an interest in Albion Rovers. <laughs> It was a bad season last season. They were demoted from the, uh, the sort of professional league. So I'm now upset about a team I've got no connection I'm with. I'm thrilled. I'm yeah. thrilled I yeah. don't have a Wikipedia yeah. page because I'll read it and suddenly I'll get drawn yeah. into whatever they're claiming I'm in. But if you try and correct, I, I did a, a radio program about Wikipedia and I'm a big fan of Wikipedia and I was taken through how to, I didn't alter my own page, but we altered somebody else's page to correct it. Oh, okay. And then it went back to the wrong thing, uh, you know, a month later because we hadn't provided document a piece of paper published somewhere it was just me oh, saying like i know i was there but how did the wrong thing get there the because there can't have been anything written down that was correct there are a couple of websites if you look me up you know those supposed to go oh um so and so net worth kind of thing yeah. there are a couple of those about me which are wildly inaccurate uh, uh mainly because one of them calls me five five as height yes <laughs> Which I have nothing yeah. against people who are 5'5", five five, but I am not yeah. high five. I look like a 5'5 five five person looking in a carnival mirror. Yeah. Um, You're 6'5". I am, yes. exactly. Yeah. Uh, and, um, well, you know, I saw that on some site. Of, that, that was your height. I thought, well, he looks much taller than that on stage. <laughs> I'm going I'm to look. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And they also, I mean, they claim the financial worth is like severely blown out because I can't get a mortgage. I can't do any of these things. Um, but it also says that I'm in a relationship with an acrobat called Mario Espanol, who I was in a show with in Switzerland, and one day he fell asleep on my shoulder on the bus to the venue. So I took a photo and went, day off with Bay, hashtag not my real boyfriend, hashtag worth every penny. And, <laughs> and they've taken that and run with it. And now Mario, poor Mario, continually has to kind of justify yeah. to his girlfriends, just so you know. Yeah. There is this thing when you Google yeah. me. Yes. And you just have to like, it's not quite strictly true. And I'm like, could you not tell people that, Mario? It really damages my street cred. <laughs> well, I'm going to alter his Wikipedia and say he <laughs> supports Albion Rovers. Then he's got to explain that away as well. Uh, okay, we're almost, we're almost uh, running out of time again. So number seven, your final, the seventh wonder, art that does its job. Yeah. So that's, a, that's an argumentative wonder. That's good. It's, if, you walk, if you walk in front of a piece of art and don't feel anything, then it's not art. Yeah. I remember um, the Tate Gallery, I got to see Twombly's Letters of Resignation. And 
it was one of the first times art had made me laugh. Like yeah. visual art in a gallery had yeah. made me laugh. And it, it sort of blew my mind because I had these um, pre... Um, Preconceptions? That's pre the word I'm looking yeah. for. Thank you so yeah. much. Preconceptions about the sanctity of visual art and how you behave in a gallery and what art is meant to do. And because I just started laughing at this, I went, oh, this has demystified a lot of this for me. And I sort of uh, changed it, changed myself. It's about art going, something that makes you go, hmm, yeah, very smart. You go, oh, this person is furious and I empathize with that. Or you look at Rothko and you sort of just go, oh my God, I am so depressed. I think I need some apricot jam and a cold spoon. <laughs> uh, art that does that, art that provokes a response. That's why I love um, some of the stuff, some unconventional art that yeah. disobeys that. Yeah. Oh God, he's just gone out of my head. I'm so sorry. I'm not good at thinking on the um, spur of the moment. Um, but this queer artist who had a um, the banana gaffer tape to the wall. That oh, was, yeah. And then someone just came up and ate it. <laughs> it's like fabulous yeah. that's another art piece uh, oh yeah 200 pieces of candy for yeah. every day of the life of his lover yes. and that people could come and eat I was like how beautiful how sad how joyous how that's a perfect piece of art for you be able to eat a sugary sweet meat in, in and, memoriam and yet feel like I'm connected to decades of queer oppression it's beautiful yeah art that does its yeah. job because so, not all art not all things that call themselves art do their job no but I suppose it does it begs the question, what is the job of art? Is it, is it to provoke? Is it to excite? Is it it's to, to change. soothe? It's to, always to change. But it's to change, to yeah. change you from where you were. Yeah. To take you somewhere. All right. Can it take you back in a sort of fuzzy, nostalgic, warm feel? Or can it provoke you into reviewing your view of the world? Or? I think it should do all those things. I think yeah. it should make you angry. I think it should make you nostalgic. I think it should make you remember a lover. I think you should make yeah. you... Think of the thing you want to be. I think it should do anything, but it has to change you from what you are currently. I had an odd experience. I went to an exhibition in, in London a couple of years ago now, but and it was uh, various abstract artists collected together. I can't remember what the exact all structure was. And then I eventually got to some Jackson Pollocks. And I'd be aware of Jackson Pollocks because it's it's sort of slightly jokey thing that he was just mm. dropping in. And they were very emotionally powerful. I can't quite explain why. Because yeah. it's it's just it's just dots and it's but that's why, yeah. But that's why you don't need to necessarily know how how it's changed. You just have to feel the change in you. Yeah. I think looking at a Pollock, you see Again, a distance, you go, oh, it just looks like spatter patterns. Get, get a forensic expert in here. Uh, but then you look at it and you go, oh, there's humor, there's anger, there's desperation, there's sadness, there's perhaps joy. I mean, the man was a bloody addict, for God's sake. Yeah. He would have been going 100 miles a minute at this. And if you can, if you can transmit that through a piece of canvas mm. stretched on some wood, that's yeah. Incredible. Ruben, we're going to have to end there. Uh, I'm poorly disciplined at this thing, but there is another show coming on, uh, uh, and it uh, features uh, an old friend of mine, uh, David Badil. So I can recommend you stay on and just watch him. Uh, but, uh, so you can thank me for that if I am overrunning. Um, and you'll certainly enjoy that. But I mustn't overrun because not only the venue will be crossed, with, so will uh, David, and uh, he can be quite vicious. You may not know this, uh, how vicious he can be. Uh, in word and deed. Um, but I have to decide which is the wonder of 
of wonder, the wonder that I think you that warrants being your wonder of wonder. And there's a lot of good wonders there, but I think especially as it's this wonder is unlike to feature on anybody else's list. And I think it was a rather sweet thing for you to have done, uh, not the sugar. But I think since you nominated your collaborator, why don't we make uh, Shannon Whitelock your wonder of wonder? Oh, he'll yeah. love that, and yeah. I'll hate it. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Thank you very much, Ruben K. Thank you. Okay. If you enjoyed this episode of My 7 Wonders, it would be wonderful if you could rate and review us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you found us. Thank you for listening. My 7 Wonders with Clive Anderson is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creative Network. 